Hey folks, if you've been tuning in over the last couple of months, you've heard all about the GameTime app and how it can save you some serious cash on last-minute tickets to sports, concerts, all types of shows. For me, I check out concert shows all the time. I think GameTime does a great job figuring out where you're going to sit, how much you should pay, when you should buy. It's one of my favorite apps. Well, GameTime is now hooking you up for the holidays with a $10 credit. So here's what to do. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store, Click on My Tickets section of the app, create an account, then under the billing section, use the redeem code THEATHLETIC. Once again, that's THEATHLETIC, all one word, for $10 off your first purchase. That's free money, people. Credit is only available to the first 1,000 people who redeem the code, and it expires at the end of the year. That's December 31st, 2019, so make your moves quick and score last-minute tickets. Welcome to the latest Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson from Camping World Stadium. Matt is somewhere on his couch in Chicago, I'm sure. Uh, I am recording from the Notre Dame coaches box. It's the quietest place I could find. There's an empty bottle of Bang Potent Brain and Body Fuel Cherry Blade Lemonade in front of me. Not a sponsor of the show. But um, Notre Dame's Camping World Bowl performance was a, a whooping. Um, they they just destroyed Iowa State 33-9. to um, Chase Claypool, game MVP. He was outstanding, best player on the field by a wide margin, although Jeremiah Wusu-Koromo maybe had a shout for a second. Um, Claypool with seven catches at buck 46. Should have had two touchdowns, only finished with one. Uh, Tony Jones, an 84-yard touchdown run, which was straight uh, Josh Adams, Quentin Nelson, Mike McGlinchey, vintage-type stuff from 2017. Uh, and Notre Dame caps a three-year run at 33-6, and six, which is pretty damn impressive, um, considering where they were when this run started. Matt, um, your thoughts from uh, from the couch? Yeah, for, first time winning 11 uh, posting bass pack, back to back, excuse me, 11 win season since 1988 89. Um, that's the year one of us, the second year there is the year one of us was born. So that's a, a very uh, long time. Uh, <laughs> but uh, what if I told you, Pete, 16 months ago, I'm talking now August of 2018, uh, that Chase Claypool would be the best, most reliable on this team, reliable player on this team by a country mile. And we wouldn't even be surprised anymore. Um, I I would not be personally blown away by that, only because I've been a uh, Chase Claypool supporter um, since he was a recruit. Um, but, I mean, he has matured in so many ways that, I mean, he was unplayable. For Iowa State right. Today. Well, no, I mean, he, um, oh, I'm sorry. Well, I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised from the talent standpoint, but everything we had heard out of the first two and a half years there, it just wasn't clicking for the guy. And, you know, when yeah, it does I mean, click in the manner that, it does. Certainly. Yeah, there was uncertainty when, when the 2018 season started about just how reliable he could be. Um, certainly, you knew he had the potential to, to be exactly what he's turned into. I mean, it's, um, I, I came away from this game with a few different things one of them was that i don't know understand how iowa state beats anybody in the big 12 ever um because notre dame's personnel looked so far superior i mean notre dame was better offensively they were better defensively they're better on special teams they're better in preparation apparently they were better in coaching um in every capacity notre dame just made matt campbell look mid-major small time however you want to describe it um 
I, it was, uh, it was a completely dominant performance that frankly, after being down here with Notre Dame all week, seeing them practice, talking to the, I mean, we didn't have a whole lot of player availability. I think we talked to six players total, uh, for very short amounts of time. Um, I was just really impressed because there was, there wasn't a whole lot of stuff that pointed to Notre Dame totally locked in. Um, you know, and I, I say that not from my own observations from interviews, but listening to Brian Kelly address the team on Thursday and Brian Kelly talk about the practices on Wednesday and Thursday was, was not the kind of stuff that made you think, yes, this team is 100% all in with the camping world bowl. And, you know, ultimately maybe they weren't, um, their personnel was so much better than Iowa state that Notre Dame locked in it. 87.3% is something that Iowa state really can't touch. Um, you know, but there was, but there's a lot to unpack in this game. I don't know if you want to start with Reese. I don't know. I don't know if you want to talk with the mental preparation. I don't know if you want to talk about Clark Lee, um, basically make, shutting down Iowa state for four quarters. Um, yeah. Where, where do you want to go next? There's a lot, uh, a lot of material today. Yeah, there's a lot. Let's start with the macro first. I mean, you talked about the mental state of the program or the team going into the game and, it is funny, you know, reading what people said down there and, you know, talking to you and other people beforehand and seeing, you know, the way winners get to write history and what's being said now and what was said, you know, at parts of the game. I mean, Allison Williams, who was a sideline reporter for the game in the fourth quarter at one point, said uh, the team had the option beforehand to stay in Orlando for a team party or to go home on the charter, and they chose to stay. And, of course, that turns into its own little narrative among the broadcast booth about how much this team loves each other and how excited they are. And I'm not saying that's not true, but, like, it was kind of hard to to read that coming into this game. And, I mean, you wrote it, you know, in your game preview this week. I mean, you just didn't really know what to expect. And, uh, you know, really from the get-go, I mean, two forced fumbles uh, on a punt and on Iowa State's first, uh, first possession um, really set the tone for this game and, really eliminated any potential threat, I think, from the get-go and, and made this smooth sailing for uh, numbers 1 through 85 on that roster. Um, I, I think it was kind of uh, this great kind of farewell for the seniors in a game that, you know, I'll say it, I mean, most complete performance of this, but best most complete performance of the season, I think. Um, you know, beating USC by three points in retrospect isn't that great. <laughs> um, I think being an Iowa State team that, albeit won seven and six, uh, to do it in the manner they did with so much that seemingly was working against them from a mental standpoint uh, was really, really impressive and I think healthy for this program. And of course, um, you know, as they're, they're running out the clock at the end, uh, the announcers are Bob Wachusen and, and Dan Larkolaski are previewing next year's schedule and talking about Clemson game in November. And we can already you know, start previewing that one, right? Is that going to be a battle of unbeatens in the you know, late fall in South Bend with the winner going to the playoff? Uh, you know, we'll overlook Wisconsin and everyone else. They got to play for a second for the, the sake of narrative, right? Because that's how excited <laughs> and wrapped up we get over uh, any tier of bowl victories. But I, I do think it was a very, very complete, impressive performance by Notre Dame. And, uh, you know, we could segue that into what happens uh, on the coaching staff on the offensive side of the ball. But, you know, I think this performance, while I said going in, I wasn't going to judge Tommy Reese good or bad off this. I, I, I don't think you can learn a whole lot when he's not really running his own personal playbook. Uh, it certainly didn't hurt him, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame's won six in a row to end the season. That's a first in a long, long time since they were winning uh, their last national championship. That's um, that's a good place to be. I think Notre Dame has some winning habits built into the program um, that will survive these seniors leaving. Uh, I thought overall Reese did a, a fine job. I'm 
you know, certainly not going <laughs> to offer any real expertise about his play call on second downs uh, in plus territory, but Notre Dame moved the ball pretty well. You know, they, they got that huge run out of Tony Jones. Um, they figured out a way to get Chase Claypool even more involved than he already was. Um, you know, that's what, that's what makes for good offense coordinators, the ability to get their playmakers the ball and then set things up uh, for guys who are just good. Um, you know, you run misdirection with Braden Lindsay a little bit, uh, and then you sort of go back to playing the hits with that, that Tony Jones long touchdown run. So it's, I, mean, I, I thought he did a pretty good job. There's no, there's no doubt that he has a lot of support within the locker room. And if Brian Kelly was going to have his team pick as next offensive coordinator, it would be, it would be Tommy Reese without, without question. Um, so, yeah, I mean, overall, I, I would think that it had to be a personal win for Reese. I thought he did a good job. Um, and, you know, his, his ability to sync up with book, assuming that book comes back, we did not talk to book down here at all. Um, I think the last time he spoke to the media was after the echoes, um, you know, Notre Dame's year in award show in early December. So, you know, he did not get a chance to speak for himself about his relationship with Reese, uh, or his plans for next year. But, um, I mean, overall, I thought, I thought that Reese did a good job. Um, I, I still would contend that you want to hire a big personality as your offensive coordinator and then have Reese probably be your co-OC, uh, opposed to making the full OC now. But, um, Brian Kelly is certainly a lot more tuned in to Reese's readiness for this kind of position than I am. Um, I would just think that, uh, especially with some of Kelly's recruiting talk about where that all needs to go, you got to have, you got to have somebody with some, some interesting, innovative ideas, uh, who can also go out and pound the recruiting pavement. Um, and then, but most, well, maybe not most importantly, but certainly importantly, you got to find a way to, to keep Reese engaged and expand his role, whether that's co-OC or full OC, I'm not sure, but, uh, Certainly, he's got to have more of a leadership role in 2020 than he did in 2019. I think he's really earned that. Yeah, I'm with you on the last part more than I am the first part. I think the big personality thing, you got to be careful with that. I mean, that's what they just had for the last three years in Chip Long. And they had historically great offenses by their standards. And the guy was a finalist for uh, the, the, the Broyles Award as the top, top assistant coach in the nation last year. And it still didn't work out. Like the yeah. guy's not there and he's not there for a reason. So I think you, you know, again, Notre Dame's a different place. Like people you're working with there are, are different for better or worse. And I think with what they have or what we think is coming back to what should be a very good team next year. I know this is a program hire and not a team or year hire, but I think you need to make sure that whoever you do bring in, if you bring in an outsider, that it's going to be someone who can mesh with everyone because for whatever reason that that ended up being the undoing of the previous guy. And uh, I don't think that's a problem with Tommy Reese. I mean, the guy played there and he's coached there now for yeah, going on three years. And I think you've got to, in some ways I think you almost do more harm than good. I mean, you mentioned, you know, giving him another title or, or giving him a bump or some way, shape or form. I think you have to do that. I think you have to look at the marketplace right now, Washington, Oregon, Texas, Miami, uh, Minnesota, now that Penn State hired Kurt Chiraca, uh, you've you're in a very crowded marketplace. And I, I think you risk losing Tommy sooner than later if you don't hire him now. I know he's young. Uh, I know it's always a risk in, in terms of readiness when you've never actually called plays before until today. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think given his experience and ties and connections, he could have an NFL quarterback job tomorrow. And I think if you want to make that hire, you need to make it now. I don't think you can wait much longer. And I think 
the combination of that and, and with what he brings on the recruiting trail, uh, you need to act. And again, we're, I don't want to judge him, you know, completely off this game because it, he had basically two weeks to prepare and yeah. it would be completely different with an off season to put his own stuff in. It was interesting to hear Dan Orlovsky, who I love, by the way, uh, on the broadcast. And who yeah, I, think I look is forward to hearing the call. The, uh, rising, uh, one of the best rising star announcers, I think, um, in the business. He said early on, he thinks that Brian Kelly in his heart of hearts really wants Tommy Reese to, to ultimately be his play caller, whether that's his opinion, whether that's from something he gathered from talking to Brian Kelly pregame, I don't know. Uh, but I thought that was interesting. Uh, I thought the, the game plan coming in, I mean, to reestablish the run and to not punt on it early when it looked like it was going to be a, a repeat of the last six weeks of the season was pretty impressive. I mean, they had 242 passing yards, 208 rushing yards against uh, the number two rushing defense of the big 12. Um, 135 yards for Tony Jones. Let, let's go down the list uh, of leading rushers for Notre Dame coming into this game. Stanford, 50 yards. BC, 60 yards, Ian Buck. Navy, 31 yards, Ian Buck. Duke, 139 yards, but that was also Ian Buck. Uh, uh, someone else had 58 yards in that game. I, I wrote it down, and I can't read my own chicken scratch. <laughs> <laughs> but Virginia you, Tech, 50 yards, Ian Buck. 37 yeah, from Jafar Armstrong. 15 yeah. in Michigan. Tony Jones at 176 in USC. They've not had a 100-yard rusher from the running back since the first half of the season. I mean, that's not nothing and to do it against a pretty good defense like this one today. I think it was pretty impressive. Yeah, it's uh, getting the running backs on track. Cause it's not like they came out and just were blowing them off the ball early. It was they right. were kind of uh, you know sputtering around a little bit. But uh, you know to get that run out of Jones, that's that's what you need. Um, so that with five, essentially five. All five starting offensive linemen coming back. Tony Jones, potentially, I'm not really sure where his head at is at about where he can go next. Um, or if he just wants to try something new, you know, in the NFL, take a shot at it. Uh, but Sebo Fumister, Jafar Armstrong, Braden Lindsey, um, Claypool is going to be a huge loss because uh, he was, you know, the best player on this offense for for big parts of the season. We'll see what Komet does. It's, I mean, certainly it's a lot. It's it's a lot for Reese or whoever's calling plays to work with. I you know, it's like a, the the whole like losing Tommy Reese. I I don't think that's a reason to hire somebody or promote somebody because you're afraid of losing them. But um, he certainly earned a bigger role next year. You know, what whatever the title is with that, whatever the paycheck is with that, like Notre Dame can figure that out. Um, at some point, they got to have somebody who wants to be at Notre Dame, and Reese certainly checks that box in a big big way. Right. So, I. I guess I would be shocked if he left considering the opportunity here, whether, whether that is as the full OC or the co-OC. I mean, I, I have a hard time seeing him going to Brian Kelly and be like, you know what? I'm going to go to Oregon to be the full OC because I am only going to be the co-OC here and you tripled my pay or doubled my pay or something like that. It just seems like it's too good of a fit for him to be here. Um, other side of the ball, Clark Lee, Phenomenal again, um, you know, a bit of a national treasure at this point, as I said on uh, social media during the game. It's because this was Iowa State's biggest strength was their pass game, and they moved the ball a little bit, um, certainly right before the half. But man, they they did a phenomenal job, I thought, overall shutting down a, a passing game that had had a lot of success in the Big Twelve. And I realize everyone has passing success in the Big Twelve, but um, I was. Notre Dame dominated that matchup today, uh, and ultimately that's, you know, it's like even if he, a couple of those almost picks from Ian Book in the first stages of the game went bad, Iowa State was not scoring. They weren't getting 20 points in this game. This game could have gone on for two days. They wouldn't have scored 20 points. 
You know, as much as we've talked up Clark Lee all season long, I still feel like we haven't done him justice. Every time there's a new game and a new broadcast and a new commentator, uh, new graphics, there's just an, always another stat that just boggles my mind. I'm like, wait, how did I miss that one? I mean, after today, 19 fumble recoveries, first in the nation. Now, look, turnovers can be a lot, largely luck, especially when it comes to fumble recoveries because the ball bounces funny and you never know which way it's going to go. But that's really impressive. 116 points off turnovers after today. Second of the nation only to a team called Clemson, who's had a pretty good season themselves. Yep. So uh, very, very impressive. I mean, we, we obviously spent the first half of this podcast talking about the offense because that was going to be the story, win, lose, or draw because of the different personnel coaching it. Uh, but, man, I mean, what you said. I mean, at no point in that game watching it did I get any, like, feeling or sense of confidence or anything that, like, Iowa State was going to make – Chicken salad, out chicken, you know what? There, I mean, it just it, it looked helpless for them at times. Jeremiah Owoso Karamoa uh, played his fit leading role as well. He forced the one fumble. I mean, between him, Alohi Gilman, and Chase Claypool uh, on those first two fumble recoveries, I can't think of three more fitting guys to to leave their marks on this finale of 2019, given the seasons those three have had uh, all fall long. I mean, it was just an absolutely dominant performance uh, defensively from start to finish, and. Clark Lee definitely got in the mix uh, on AD radars uh, after his performance the first 12 games this season of his second year as a full-time <laughs> defensive coordinator. He ain't sneaking up on anyone next year. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure Clemson staff has already cut it up film. Uh, well, they're, they're, they got a pretty Maybe big one tonight, today. but after tonight, they're, they're probably cut up film or have some GAs cut up film uh, for, for next November because um, that, that's not going to sneak up on anybody. We talk about physical fitness a lot, but there's another side to the game that's just as important. I'm talking about mental fitness. Calm, the number one app for sleep and meditation, has teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind. LeBron and Calm know that your mind is like any other muscle in your body, and Calm can help you train your brain so you sleep better, have less stress, and perform at your best. Also, can help you put your kids to sleep. Samson family, this is huge. Sleep stories for kids. Calm Airways, highly recommended. So head to calm.com slash shamrock, get 40% off a Calm premium membership. For a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron and the Samson family in using Calm with a 40% discount to an annual membership at calm.com slash shamrock. Unlock content to help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better, and your kids. Get started at calm.com slash shamrock. That's calm.com slash shamrock. No, I mean, they were they were outstanding. Owusu Koromo has just gotten better and better and better. It was interesting talking to uh, you know Brian Kelly, and they had two players available, Chase Claypool and Khalid Kareem, because we were able to get one question in on Jeremiah Owusu Koromo at the very end. And it was funny, Kareem actually burst out laughing, uh, shaking his head when he asked about, uh, I think Tim O'Malley asked about Owusu uh, Koromo maturing and growing and you know getting better. And Kelly's like, yeah, now he gets to practice 15 seconds before it starts. Um, so I think, you know, may, maybe that's the next Claypool kind of story. You know, you know, maturity here or there, a little bit all over the place, flashes of brilliance where the light goes on and stays on as an upperclassman. Um, I think we can all sit here and say that uh, Jeremiah Usu karmo will not be applying for a fifth year of eligibility in the 2021 season. Uh, if he's going <laughs> to have games like this over and over and over again. It seems like he's, he's getting really close to that. He's a uh, man. He's a lot of fun to watch. Two players spoke after the game. Two players spoke after the game. It was uh, at least they're consistent win or lose. It was a strange, uh, it was no, this week was a little bit strange that way. Um, you know, Notre Dame, I think after the playoff last year, I don't know why they came down here and thought like, let's just do the minimum with media type stuff. But, 
that was uh that was a tack that they took um so that's how we ended up with two players after the game and uh you know it's, i mean look i would have loved to talk to ian book about not just what's happening next year or not but reese uh tony jones coming home to his home state uh having that huge run uh to really sort of put the game away jeremiah was about how he's sort of grown and matured over the course of the season um there are a lot of there are a lot of great stories with uh, Notre Dame that uh, you know. Unfortunately, didn't really get a chance to, to, to chat with a lot of those a lot of those players this week. Well, uh, or Jonathan Dor, great for read, field goal. I mean, read incredible. my story on Roger Valde- Read my story this yeah. week on Roger Valdesari, the old Notre Dame SID who would never stand for any of this. Uh, <laughs> I, I did think. Um, I don't know if you got a chance to see. Brian Kelly's on-field post-game interview with Allison Williams, not on the stage at the trophy ceremony, but um, immediately afterward. Uh, he had two things that stuck out in my mind. The first one was we had a great season. We had one bad day. Um, leave it yep. to him to sum Fair. up the season, I think, in the most perfect of terms. Uh, we, we beat in that Michigan game over the head trying to figure out what happened, and like I just think <laughs> the way he summed that up uh, is uh, satisfactory, if you will. Uh, the other line he had, he got asked about the senior class, which – you know, started their careers here with a four and eight season. And it looks like everything was going down the drain and has responded by winning 33 games over the last three seasons, including uh, a playoff berth and back-to-back 11 win seasons. And he said, quote, we've not won a national championship. That's the next step for this team, but they put us in that position now where we can take that next step. Um, Pretty, I don't want to say bold words, but, you know, those are words that are going to catch the ears of, of Notre Dame fans and recruits all over. Um, I know Brian Kelly had other comments this week in terms of uh, recruiting at a higher level. Uh, you could probably speak to those a little bit better than me, but, you know, I, I heard his comments on the field with Allison Williams, and I immediately thought of the comments uh, he made about recruiting earlier this week, and I couldn't help but put two and two together and wonder, you know, what's next, what's coming, what is in mind for Brian Kelly, the recruiter, uh, because that's an area that I think you oh, know yeah. we've always felt he could probably be better at. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I think that if he <clears throat> said, I'm going to be the best recruiter that you know Notre Dame has seen as a head coach, like I think he could be absolutely dynamic with that. Um, I think there's certainly going to be some material investments in the recruiting department. I don't know if it's going to be the travel. I don't know if it's going to be some other areas. Uh, that's, in some ways, the, the most interesting thing that happened down here was his admission or revelation or I'm I'm not sure how to describe it that Notre Dame can be bigger and better in recruiting than it's already been Um, and this this game really should have driven that point home because what was the biggest difference between Notre Dame and and Iowa State was the players Um, Notre Dame has NFL players almost I don't want to you could sit there and say Notre Dame has NFL players in every position Iowa State might might have a couple um, you know, their freshman running back, Brees Hall, I think is had a chance to be really good, but that's, that's kind of it. Um, you know, in like the difference between Iowa state and Notre Dame is not dissimilar to the difference Notre Dame runs into with Alabama or Clemson. Uh, um, I was just going to say that. So yeah. how do you get caught up with that? You have to bust your ass in recruiting in a different way. And, um, if, the, if that's really going to happen, if they're really going to just put the resources behind, uh, the recruiting department in a different way, then yeah, they have a chance to make that up. Um, I'm to me that that's the, that's the most interesting thing that happened this week. It's probably the most interesting story of the next nine months. Um, maybe over the next few years is if Notre Dame can, can turn a recruiting corner that, um, 
we aren't really sure if they were going to be able to turn. I don't, I don't, Brian Kelly himself said, I'm not sure, you know, I've changed my opinion about what we can be in recruiting. If that's, if that's true, if that's genuine, then, then Notre Dame really can sort of break up that cabal at the top of college football with Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, uh, Oklahoma, LSU, et cetera. I'm, I'm fascinated to see where that goes. I mean, you took the words out of my mouth, right? I mean, they beat Iowa State because they have more NFL players than Iowa State does. When they lose to the Clemsons of the world, it's because the Clemsons of the world have more first-round picks uh, than the Notre Dame does NFL players when we're talking about each level of the football where, where you know, how these players line up. Uh, I'll be fascinated to see how this unfolds. Um, we, we've talked a lot about private planes. Just do yes, it already. I mean, I mean... <laughs> There's are mid-tier ACC schools that are winning six games a year that are putting their assistance on private planes. I, I don't think this is uh, something Notre Dame can't find the pennies for. I mean, they can. And I, I know they don't want to ever be viewed as a football factory, and they have very kind of picky and choosy ways about where they decide to allocate the resources. One of them they do a very good job of is paying their coach as well. Uh, I think another one they could do is allocating resources to those coaches to bring the best possible football players onto campus. Um, I don't think players are, are, are flocking to Notre Dame because or because not of the air travel that their coaches are coming. I think these coaches have an opportunity to build better relationships with these five-star players because they will have more efficient ways of getting there and of managing their time. I, I just... I, I don't see what they are waiting for in that regard. It's a national school with a national brand. Uh, they should be able to travel all over the country in an efficient manner. I don't think that's asking a whole lot. And, you know, I don't know if that's what Brian Kelly was hinting at when he talked about this, but, uh, you know, he's been here 10 years. And for him to, to say that publicly, you have to wonder what has changed or what will change, because uh, that's not something that I think just, you know, is a random light bulb clicking in his head when he decides to talk to the press this week. Yeah, no, it was it was really out of the blue because I asked the question that elicited the answer, and he wasn't, you know, he, it wasn't a recruiting question. It was the question was basically, what will you see on Saturday that will inform where the off season can go? And he started with the offensive coordinator uh, and sort of making a big hire there and getting that right. Um, you know, he didn't say that necessarily needs to be Reese uh, or not Reese, and then he went into the recruiting stuff, and I mean that's. I'm really interested to see what happens with that because it's I you know you've I you talk to assistant coaches at other programs all the time and I keep in touch with a bunch of assistants who coached at Notre Dame who have gone on um, to other jobs and one of them has said look there is no reason why Notre Dame shouldn't be at the very top of college football recruiting um, yes when everything is in order at Notre Dame like not that it should recruit itself that's not what I'm saying because you got to work your butt off to make it happen but. It has all the dynamics in place to be a monster in recruiting. If, but you got to get those dynamics in place, and may, if that if that happens, if that's where this is all going, then then this this season could be very very beneficial for the big picture of Notre Dame football. Uh, and I, I don't think, as it was unfolding, that we've had a lot of takeaways about like this is a yeah that Notre Dame season is going to have that kind of a lasting impact it's been more about 33 wins over three years um you know the senior class has sort of pulled the program back to the forefront of college football but the real takeaway is all right for, let's we got 33 wins great how do we get to 42 wins how do we get how do we win in the playoff not just make it then that that is incredibly critical to the health of the overall program that's that's the most interesting thing to me about Notre Dame football moving forward 
So are you not saying that uh, Matt Cable should replace Brian Kelly? I am sad to say that I I I broke up with Matt Campbell today. Um, <laughs> I, I think Notre Dame fans broke up with that fantasy, at least, you know, for a few years. Yeah, it was uh, – yeah, was, and after the game, I mean, this sort of ties into the talent issue. Uh, I asked Matt Campbell about um, what, you know, what Chase Claypool and his impact on the game and – he talked about the first t- – well, the only touchdown, I guess, the, uh, the one down the sideline, at th- I think it was on third and 15, and how they had a young corner who right. played the wrong coverage, was rolled up when he should have been back. Um, and one, I'm thinking if Brian Kelly said this, Twitter would be going nuts um, about throwing <laughs> players under the bus, not for Matt Campbell. But then I'm also sitting there thinking, like, you know what? If you have great players, you can afford to play the wrong coverage. Like, if, if Iowa State had Kyle Hamilton over the top, um, or if they had uh, just Julia Love uh, on Chase Claypool, the fact that the wrong coverage got played wouldn't have been a problem at all. They would have just broken it up. Um, or if you had a receiver that's not as talented as Chase Claypool, that wouldn't have been completed. So that's sort of where he gets to. Like as soon as you start getting more six four and six five guys out there, and less five eleven and six foot guys out there at safety and corner and receiver and tight end and all that stuff um you have more players that sort of look like chase claypool looks or kyle hamilton looks then then you can afford to sort of be in the wrong coverage iowa state could not afford to be in the wrong coverage on chase claypool today um in the same way that notre dame could not afford to have a guy fall down against justin ross or t higgins last year ultimately talent lets you get away with some mistakes and it's impossible to play perfect fundamental football at all times if you have more talent, you can get away with it more. That's I, I think that's sort of the difference where Notre Dame's got to go. Did you get any good Bush Light stories from your week down in Disney? I didn't really wow. tamp down. Like there were there were way more Iowa State fans down here for the week than Notre Dame fans. Um, just my very anecdotal uh, walking around Orlando a little bit. Um, I would say you know five to one, ten to wow. one, um, but at the stadium. I, you know, maybe it was 55, 45. Um, it, it didn't feel like a road game vibe or anything like that. Um, you know, Iowa state is certainly a lot more monochromatic than Notre Dame is. So you can tell where they are, but I, I thought overall Notre Dame's fan base, I have to, I have to applaud their uh, enthusiasm for this game. Cause it's certainly, you weren't really sure if it was going to be that way. Um, when the bowl was announced, um, they really came up and they showed up and it was loud and, it felt like much more of a, a raucous neutral side game, which is what these games are are when they're in at their best. What was uh, Brian Kelly getting at? I, I saw your tweet right after the game when he, he said, "Let me find it right here." He just said, "quote You re- you just read this team wrong." End quote. Um, give us the context behind that. Yeah, I think that um, because some coaches and players um, read the athletic, they saw that. Uh, I picked Notre Dame to lose today, which obviously was way off. Um, <laughs> they, they must not have listened to the podcast without you when I picked them to win, but Scott Dockerman picked them to lose. But go on. Yes. Um, so I think that had to be part of it. Um, I It kind of goes back to something we said at the beginning of the show, that if you win, you get to write the history the way you want it to be read. Um, and if Brian Kelly wants to go there, that's certainly his right to do that. Um uh, there is no question that before practice on Thursday, he was not pleased with how the week of practice had gone. So that, you know, I, I don't really know how to take that. Um, is it certainly wasn't Brian Kelly putting on a show to make me think that 
uh, Notre Dame was not locked in. So Notre Dame would then be more locked in. Like that's a little, a little over the top uh, to think that a coach would do something like that. Yeah. Uh, but it was, you know, Brian Kelly also said like that the team fed off doubters and negative vibes and naysayers. I think he got all the uh, negative tropes out there. Um, and if they did great, I mean, it would work. Hell it worked for him. Right. Um, but you know, what do we hear before games when that happens? We shut out the noise. We don't pay attention to that. It's irrelevant. Nameless faceless opponents, right. so on and so forth. Um, but Hey, it, it worked for them today. So I got to give them credit. Um, they found, they found a way to get a little extra juice in a game where I thought they would probably need a lot of extra juice. Um, and ultimately they, they played really well as a, as a report, as a result of it. Was, did, was that part of a statement? Did you ask him a question? Someone no, it was just part, it was just part of his opening statement. Um, and it, I didn't, I didn't take the U to mean you, Pete Sampson. Um, Maybe that's not me. I picked him to win. Okay. Yeah. Well, certainly, it certainly wasn't Matt Fortuna. Um, and cover, by the way. Go on. Yeah. It's like they did not listen to what the naysayers had to say about them, the negative tone, the negative people out there. All they cared about was playing the game. It was a clean, it was competing, uh, always looking to better themselves. Like, okay. You know, they, they got something out of that. Um, I think it, I don't know if a lot of people picked the uh, Iowa State to win today. Certainly some people did, and I was I was in that group who was looks like an idiot now. But um, there were, this to me, I sort of looked at this game as like, when you see bowl games where the more talented team loses, it's a combination of they're coming, they played in a much bigger game last year than they are this year. Uh, they're playing against a opponent that doesn't have a lot of brand name. They're playing against an opponent that is playing the biggest bowl game in the history of their program. And they probably had some coaching staff turnover too. Notre Dame checked all four of those boxes today. Um, I didn't. I thought that Iowa State would hang around and they would need certainly like some turnovers to make an upset happen. They didn't get any of that, and they didn't really hang around either. Um, you know, I I felt like I had sound analysis about why an upset could happen, but then uh, <laughs> Notre Dame obviously just threw that back in my face. Uh, although no, I, I did not take. Uh, Brian Kelly's you were wrong about this team to mean you, Pete Sampson. Uh, he may have, um, as uh, my Twitter mentions are quickly pointing out. But um, <laughs> it's uh, all right. I got to give Notre Dame a lot of credit. I mean, what else can you do? They played they played a very focused um, performance today. And they let all of their – they figured out a way to make their talent shine the most. Um, Iowa State was completely outclassed from a personnel perspective today uh, in a way that um, – you can only you can only have that happen if you are locked in and focused and dialed in, and I think Notre Dame was all that today. So I, I give Notre Dame a lot of credit for that. Yeah, what I'm really trying to get at is will, will Brian Kelly shout out the Shamrock the way Jim Harbaugh shouted <laughs> out Michigan's <laughs> podcast? No, um, I, 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 it was it was interesting, eye opening to me because Brian Kelly, to his credit, over ten years has never given off the vibe that he ever reads or cares to read anything we write or whatever we say, et cetera. And I, I you know. I kind of respect him for that because he's been very consistent in that approach for 10 years. So that's why it was a little surprising to read kind of, you know, not out of context, bit. but just trying to a learn little the surprising. of it. Uh, but like, I, like you said, when you win, like you get to say what you want. And if it works, it works. Um, the head coach of the defending national champion who Notre Dame is, is looking at at the North Star right now has done this every single press conference for the last five years has looked kind of like a buffoon when he does it. Um, so, I mean, it's very hard to say Brian Kelly can't do that because I, I think everyone does it and they need to find a way to push the right buttons. I'm just not used annoying to They may have been us. Right. No, with Brian Kelly, I'm not, which is why I was a little surprised. Um, did you see a 
little side note, uh, Mike Monaco, our, our friend, Notre Dame alum, had a, a funny tweet of a screen grab in the first quarter um, when Notre Dame was on fourth and one uh, driving before that Claypool touchdown pass. And Dan Orlovsky pointed out on the broadcast as well where uh, you lip read – you see, you're able to lip read Brian Kelly saying, think about fourth down calls, Tom, to, to Tommy Reese up in the press box, you know, as they're getting ready for third down. And, uh, 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 Jessica uh, Smetana from uh, Sports Illustrated replied, so BK calls him Tom, noted. Uh, yeah. I was also curious what the exact uh, address would be in, in that situation, especially for a former player. I thought that was pretty uh, interesting and insightful uh, from a game day perspective. But you now I was wondering if, if they would put Tommy Reese on the field uh, you know, as the only kind of offensive play caller or quarterback coach or what have you for a game like this. But I guess they wanted to go with, with kind of uh, what his he is comfortable with or has been doing the last couple of seasons. Yeah, and uh, I think like if there in. was uh, on the Reese where this is going tangent, um, it, I mean, if you want to read anything into this or not, uh, Tim Priester asked a couple questions about how, how Reese did. Uh, and then Kelly gave sort of a, a pretty general uh, answer about you know Chase Claypool and running the ball more effectively and the efficiency of the offense, and then Priester followed up like, "And Reese, what did you think?" Uh, and the answer was, "I think everybody on the offensive side of the ball did a really good job, including Tommy." Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised he's playing his cards close to the vest. I'm not surprised he's not anointing anyone anything just yet. I mean, I think you you got to take your time. You got to see the market. You got to feel the market. As far as I know. Uh, no one's been brought in now. He may have made some informal phone calls, you know, elsewhere for interviews, but no, nothing. The, the progress and legwork on that, I think, will start now as they turn the page to to twenty twenty after today. Uh, I mean, you're in the coach's box right now. Do you do you see any you know, copies of a contract signed? You know, straight straight up. No, I don't. It's, uh, I just see I just see my notes and empty Dasani water bottles along with that uh, okay, sports okay. drink. What's funny is Alex Golish, the tight end coach for Iowa State, is is a candidate to be UCS offense coordinator. So he may stay down there. Uh, and we may have maybe two future mm. offense coordinators who took the field day. We did have two uh, finalists for the uh, Patrick Manley long snapper award uh, in Iowa state's guy, whatever his name is. And uh, our, our friend, Another our, story our friend, John Shannon. Told. Yeah. Um, who was right in the middle of things during that fumble recovery on the opening punt. And I can only imagine the, the crap he was talking to everyone about the hardware he had brought home a couple weeks ago, but uh, just one more notch under Notre Dame's belt on a day where everything seemed to go right for them. Yeah, no, it was. Uh, it's a good way to go into the off season. Um, you know, it's, I was sitting there thinking about, okay, how do I want to attack this story? What the angles to take? And I, I, it was kind of one of those games where I'm curious about your reaction to this. Like some bowl games feel like they're the last game of, of the season they're in. Some bowl games feel like they're the first game of the next season, and some bowl games feel like neither. And I feel like this one was sort of in the neither group. I mean, is that Am I am I off on that from your your perspective? I think time will tell. I mean, last year certainly was the end of 2018. Um, I think 2017 bled a little into 2018 because you saw Ian Book, you saw Miles Boykin, you saw a team that um, had a rough final month of the season and that was able to cobble something together with a lot of people down and suspended uh, and, and pull off an upset win over an SEC team. Uh, this year's. I know we talk about this in other contexts when we talk about you know what happens or doesn't happen depending on which coach you hire. I think if all these guys come back, Cole Komet, Ian Buck, uh, we're talking about a team that you know the core of a team that 
just came off a, a really impressive exclamation point to their finale to the 2019 season and has the opportunity with the schedule in front of them in 2020 to, to make a playoff run. I mean, to maybe go into that Clemson game in November undefeated where you're in that conversation and you've got game day and maybe you've got weather on your side and all the other good, good vibes of mojo. Uh, I, we're a long ways away from that point. I know, but I think if, if all the familiar faces are back, then they can start to build off this. Now, if everyone leaves and goes their separate ways, if there's a new play caller there, whatever, then I think you go to the neither category. But, you know, people like to to shape narratives on these things um, after the fact. And I think ultimately that's what we're going to learn about, what this bowl game ultimately meant. Yeah, no, I agree. It's um, it's going to be interesting next month to see where the offensive coordinator position goes. You know, if, if any other staff changes happen, um, you know, the recruiting narrative storyline, however that develops or doesn't, that's going to, yes. that's like a, a multi-year story. Um, certainly the, the way they have their class set up uh, for 2021 already with Tyler Buckner at quarterback, you know, the, look, there's a, there's a reason I went out on the bye week to watch him play. Uh, and it's not just because of his rivals or 24 seven ranking. It's because how, how he's viewed by the Notre Dame coaching staff um, as, you know, a, a potential future of this program. So it's, if that goes in a different direction, if, if suddenly they have a few Chase Claypools running around, if they have um, Braden Lindsay's in the freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior class um, that are developing as they go, um, you know, if they have defensive ends where they're they're continually rolling out uh, Julian O'Quara and Khalid Kareem and Jeremiah Usu-Kormo and there's Kyle Hamilton and your place, um, you know, if you find the next Julian Lover too, then, then I think we're talking about a program that can get to the playoff and compete there. Um, you know, this this was not that team. I think their personnel was was good, but it was never great. And to be in the playoff, you got to have a great coaching staff and great personnel. Um, you know, I think Notre Dame is is very was very very good with coaching and good with personnel. Um, you know, if they can if they can take that up a few notches, that that may take years to happen, but. Um, It'll be interesting to watch because you, you'll know it's as you'll know it's happening as it's happening. Like before you see it on Saturdays, you'll know it's happening with investment and in travel and resources and scouting and coaching staffs and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's suddenly the the Notre Dame program is, I think, a, a little bit more interesting. If if I'm more interested in Notre Dame when they when they're conscious and aware and willing to talk about the gap between where they are and the top of the mountain. Um, when they're talking about graduating champions and, you know, 33 wins in uh, three years, as if that's an end all be all, those are incredible accomplishments. I'm not trying to diminish those, but Notre Dame is more interesting when they're always striving for more. Um, you know, when they're, when they're trying to hit this level of greatness that the program has not hit since the peak days of Lou Holtz, that's when Notre Dame football is really fun to cover and for fans fun to watch. So I'm, I'm curious to see how they try to go about getting there because it's a place the program has they've they've sort of taken those steps from good to great to be elite. That's a few more steps, and a lot of other programs are trying to get it. So how Notre Dame gets there, I'm man, I'm really curious to sort of cover that story and see where this program can go. Yeah, I was trying to fall asleep last night when I got home after going to Uncut Gems and uh, what was on the ACC network, but the Clemson Notre Dame game from last year. So I, I kind of you know unwinded by watching a replay of that for whatever reason. Um, but you know that even in the second half of that game when it was the outcome was long, um, 
long decided. Uh, the announcing team was saying, you know, what about this? What about that? And I think Todd Blackledge said, you know, at the end of the day, Clemson just has better players. Like we could talk about getting out coach, outplayed, Julian Love getting hurt, blah, blah, blah. Dexter Lawrence is out, you know, like, yeah, they're, they're Clemson just has yep. better players. They're a better program right now. So you can't really hammer Notre Dame for losing another big bowl game or whatever, you know, however many 20 point losses that is on that kind of stage. Uh, but I do think when, I guess that's a, a transition from what you're saying in terms of, yes, this program is obviously a lot more interesting when it is reaching for the mountaintop of college football. And uh, I think, uh, they, I don't want to say hide behind, but cloud themselves in some of these cliches like four for 40 and graduating champions. And rarely do you see times like what Brian Kelly said after the game on the sideline. Uh, the next step for us is a national championship. And we've been put in the position where we have to take that next step. That's, I think, I love every Notre Dame fan I wants love to hear. That. Yes. I, like, I love hearing so that. So do I. That makes this program so it's much fun to Self-aware. Cover. Yes. Agree. Yeah, so that, uh, and that I mean, it's it's strange. the recruiting thing. Yeah. The recruiting thing he said this week. I mean, that that to me is very more eye opening than, than anything that it probably even happened on the field today, because it shows me that totally you know there's still like internal functional things that this place needs to work on. Eleven years into a coaching regime, where they are still searching for ways to improve, and they're not satisfied with making a playoff run every four or five years and getting waxed by, by Clemson or, or, or Alabama or whomever. Uh, they are not, they are still striving to reach that mountaintop. And um, if everyone comes back, if the hires end up working out well, um, maybe they're in that, that position where next year they finally have one of these elite teams at home with a chance to knock them off in, in a big late season stage and they can make some noise and they can be in the national discussion. Maybe they are. I mean, uh, it's too early to say whether that's true or not, but uh, for, for them to speak the way they did today and not just say, hey, we won 11 games, look at us. Uh, I think that's that, that's a – I hate to say silver lining because it was a pretty good season, but but that's something you hold on to if you're a fan right now and take into 2020 and get really excited about. I mean, I think really one of the most interesting things about <laughs> the way this season has come to an end is it, it makes me interested – I want to see more of it now. Like I, I after right. the Michigan game, the vibe was like season's over from the fan base. Can't make the playoff. Um, there was kind of a resignation about all that. And I, I get like, you know, once the playoff is off the table, that's, you know, depresses interest a little bit. But if you're going to go out and say like, screw this, like we're going, we're going for it. Um, that makes leaving the camping world bowl, I think increase interest in Notre Dame football moving forward um, and increase interest in some, uh, the stories around this program and you know there's there's a lot of a lot of good stuff to tell moving forward hey the orange bowl is in two days i'll be there and it's not too far from orlando you think Notre Dame can get can get down there and, and beat up virginia on the way and take the field against florida i think that's fine yeah i'd love to see it's like the Notre Dame florida is the bowl game that we all wanted to see uh Probably, you know, yeah. maybe the story would be the same for Notre Dame, regardless coming out of that as they is today but uh yeah, well, we could get bleak uh, zaire on as a podcast guest boom god that'd be great we, should, we should do that. So, all right. Well, I'm not, uh, we probably should have mapped out our future Shamrock podcast scheduling before we hit record opposed to, uh, debating it live during the podcast, but <laughs> I'm not sure when we'll be back. Um, we'll definitely do some guests moving forward. I know Chris Sims is somebody that I've talked to about coming on, uh, maybe even Dan Orlovsky to, to sort of recap sort of his week around Notre Dame and sort of what he learned about this program and where it's all going to go from a national perspective. But, uh, we will have plenty of, the shamrock in the month of January. 
Uh, won't be twice weekly podcast, but we'll have a, a regular slate of guests to talk Notre Dame football. Because look, as we got to back up what we just said, I think Notre Dame football in some ways is more interesting now than it was when this game started, um, or when this week started, I should say, because uh, that's Brian Kelly talked about sort of the recruiting upgrades that need to happen. So, uh, Matt, unless you have any uh, closing notes, I was about to. Wish no, I mean, I, I assume you went year. to Dis. I assume you went to Dizzy this week, so I, I wasn't going to – I guess last, twice. Okay. Uh, you're really uh, you're really hurt in the wallet. But uh, did uh, – yeah. any other vacation plans coming up? What's next for Pete Sampson? Uh, I will be watching my kids during their second week of Christmas break from our house and going to see Star Wars and hang out with my dog at home. So that, that's going to be about it. We've got uh, – Riveting. Yeah. We had Animal Kingdom and Magic Kingdom in the books. Um, I'm fine not uh, repeating that for quite some time. <laughs> and that – you know, look, I, I think we can all agree that uh, it's like going to Vegas. You only need to do it once every few years. <laughs> I am uh, I'm already preparing for a one-year-old birthday party for next week, but I will also be going to the national championship after that. So uh, John Hayes, our, our on-the-men producer, will be down there. Maybe the two of us can can video conference you in, and we can uh, do a preview of, I guess it'll be LSU against whomever, uh, and see how close Notre Dame is to, to being back there next year. All right. Well, that sounds good. On, on that note, we're going to wrap up uh, this season's The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson from Camping World Stadium. Matt Fortuna is somewhere in Chicago. Uh, you, Thanks for being with us all season. It's been a fun season to cover. Uh, a lot of storylines to unpack along the way and some new ones that popped up this week, too, uh, which has been fun. So until our next episode, whenever that may be, we appreciate your listening. Again, Pete Sampson, Matt Fortuna, this has been our post-game reaction podcast from the Camping World Stadium after Notre Dame's 33-9 blowout of Iowa State. Thanks again for being with us.